3, 2, 1. Hi, my name is Mal Giannone. I'm a real estate broker serving the greater Toronto market, specializing in the exclusive representation of tenant occupiers and owner investors of commercial property. I want to welcome you to another edition of our podcast we call CRE Next, Work Out Loud, sponsored by Paramount Real Estate Properties. If you are finding us here for the first time, we share helpful insights on the current real estate market in and around the greater Toronto area so that you can make better business decisions for your company and for yourself. So if you play a role in shaping real estate strategy for your team or are looking to invest in commercial real estate, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any new content as soon as it's released. Hey, thank you for joining me, everyone. This is episode two. And in today's episode, we're running the numbers for the real estate market over the first half of the year 2020. What an unprecedented time it has been. You'll be able to download the report from our website. Just go to www.paramountrealestate.ca, find the video podcast episodes on YouTube, or find the links through our social media channels on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So with that said, let's begin. Back on July 22nd, the provincial government unofficially declared the state of emergency over, as most of Ontario moved into stage three of reopening. Since our last podcast, many of the people that we met through social media, customers and clients alike, had reached out with questions about the potential looming economic cliff on the horizon. I'll tell you, my friends, there is some concern over whether the current government protective policies and financial support are masking the true impact of the pandemic on this economy. Are we experiencing a false sense of security in the market right now? What happens when Canada's COVID-19 emergency response plans are taken away? Can the Canadian economy and the real estate market stand on their own for the balance of 2020 and beyond? As these government programs are set to time out, we arrive at an important point of inflection for our country. Do we recover or do we slide into a deep recession? Most importantly, do we pause on our real estate strategies or take action now as we may have already bottomed out from the doom and gloom? We thought you as someone involved in commercial real estate may be seeking clarity on these issues and answers to these questions. Well, you found the right podcast. In today's episode, we're going to help you... One, assess the strength of the economy as we return back to a new normal. Two, measure the market's risk ahead. And three, give you our real estate outlook for the balance of 2020 so that you can carve out a confident real estate plan for your company and for yourself. Well, it's the dog days of summer and we've officially made it through to stage three. The economic situation caused by the pandemic has raised concerns over whether Canadians and companies are strong enough to survive on their own this coming fall and winter without government support. As on the date of taping this episode, it's now September. We've witnessed a substantial turnaround since broadening the opening of our communities in June and July of 2020. Across most national economic leading indicators, we see signs of traction and positive momentum, mostly beating expectations. Here now is a rundown of the economic numbers for the midway mark of 2020. Number one, Canada's real GDP 
grew by 6.5% in June as 19 of the 20 industrial sectors advanced, led by gains in construction, manufacturing, and retail. Number two, overall construction in Canada grew by 9.4% in June, bringing activity to just 4% of pre-pandemic levels. Number three, building permits in Ontario grew by 6.2% in June and a further 9.8% in July. This is all great news. Number four, the National Housing Price Index. Prices rose for the third consecutive month at a national level, up by 0.4% by July. In Ontario, nine of the 10 housing markets had posted increases. Number five, employment. Canada has now recovered over 1.66 million of the 3 million jobs lost during the full shutdown between February and April. The unemployment rate sat at about 10.9% by July and has come down further since. Remember when they were predicting up to 15 to 20% employment? Number six, average weekly earnings increased in June by 9.4% year over year as most of the higher wage earners were spared the shutdown and lower wage jobs sat out, unable to work remotely. Number seven, the consumer price index edged slightly higher in June, then again by another 0.1% on a year over year basis. So inflation is stable and there is no threat of deflation. Number eight, the velocity of money, which is the rate at which money moves from one entity to another in purchasing goods and services within a certain time frame. It sped up slightly in June at 1.25 times rollover from the 1.12 times in May. That is the number of times in which money exchanged hands. Number nine, Canada's household savings rate reached an all-time high of 28.2% by Q2, up from 7.6% in Q1. Savings rates are higher for higher income brackets. And last, number 10, Canada's household disposable income. Government transfers to households meant to blunt the impact of COVID-19 related measures resulted in a 10.8% increase for Q2. Wow, what a comeback. Who would have guessed we would have bounced back this quickly during a pandemic? You gotta be thinking the worst is behind us if we can avoid a significant second infectious wave. While these stats provide some welcome news, it should be expected that going forward into the fall and winter, marginal gains will be harder to come by as part of that strong rebound may have been pent up demand over the spring and summer months. As a real estate strategist, you have to at least consider taking advantage of historically low interest rates towards selective opportunities and take comfort in the slow, manageable, predictable, and affordable pace of growth in most economic sectors. Well, before we declare this a V-shaped recovery, we've got to determine the level of risk for default, delinquencies, and insolvencies going forward. Let's not forget about that potential looming economic cliff a lot of people are worried about. So here now are five reasons why people are concerned. One. Payments from CERB programs alone were about twice the total wages lost through the end of May. Over 2.5 million Canadians had enrolled by that time. Two. 
the ballooning government deficits and debt levels had led the Fitch Credit Agency to downgrade Canada from a coveted AAA rating to a AA-plus sovereign standing. Three. Number three, according to a survey report in August by TransUnion, 13% of Canadians were using money from their TFSA or RSP to help pay bills. Four. As of June 30th, banks had provided mortgage deferrals or skip payments for about 16% of all mortgages and bank portfolios. That's about 760,000 borrowers, and that's two times the rate compared to the U.S. That number, though, has since come down closer to 13% by the end of July. Five. Most six-month mortgage deferral periods will end in October. That's about a half million mortgages, a further 221,000 in November, and approximately 24,000 by the end of December. Although these mortgage deferral numbers will have dropped by Q3 in comparison to previous quarters, many have feared the weakness in the labor market would outlast the duration of the government support measures. The idea behind all these measures was to provide liquidity in the markets, to buy time until the jobs returned. During that time, Canadians would be freed up to concentrate on spending for essentials and indirectly keep the economy going through their purchases without having to worry about settling debts. Well, it's worked in the short term. The recent rebound in Canada's economy proves it. So what will the government of Canada do to calm those labor market fears going forward? What will the Bank of Canada do next? Nothing. They'll keep the status quo until 2% inflation is reached. Their current monetary policy seems to be having a positive effect on gaining back employment, and much of the government emergency programs will be extended or morphed into some other program indefinitely to taper the risk of falling off that economic cliff. At some point next year, hopefully, as the economy demonstrates successive quarters of strengthening momentum, they'll cut the strings and allow for a marginally acceptable amount of defaults, delinquencies, and insolvencies. No cliff, just a small ledge from which to step off from. Ultimately, what matters most when it comes to default is people having a job, having their incomes. What the programs and policies are doing is buying time for that process to unfold. The Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy filed data that revealed a record decline in Canadian consumer and business insolvencies in Q2 2020. For the 12-month period ending July 31, 2020, the total number of insolvencies decreased by 10.8% compared with the same time last year. According to Equifax and the CMHC, any future increases in delinquencies would more likely come from the rise of credit card and auto loans rather than mortgage debt. Equifax had recently reported Canadian delinquencies at the end of Q2 stood at 1.24% with an average balance of just about $23,000. Ontario had a delinquency rate of 1.13% and Toronto at 1.34%. To put into context, most typical recessions in Ontario have experienced a 0.9% mortgage delinquency rate. So we're almost there. Most lenders have been seeing mortgage deferral numbers across Canada drop and feel the vast majority of deferrals will end with borrowers returning to their regularly scheduled payments. Further reassuring 
is that TransUnion declared Canadian credit card balances dropped 13.7% in Q2 as consumers postponed big-ticket purchases like vacations. Overall, consumer non-mortgage delinquency rates have declined by 4.2% with the help of government support programs and payment deferrals. TransUnion's Financial Hardship Survey indicates that consumers are planning for the inevitable termination of financial accommodation programs like deferrals. So the key takeaway we should note here is believe the data that tells us risk is trending downwards and don't believe the hype from all the media sensationalism. Expect slightly higher delinquency and insolvency numbers to surface by the end of the first quarter of next year. As of the end of Q2 2020, consumer insolvency proposals were up as we came out from lockdown, but not to an unmanageable degree. It's reasonable to expect Toronto and Vancouver to be impacted by more bankruptcies and insolvency proposals than the rest of Canada. Not to fear, the CMHC has already prepared a default management playbook to help lenders help borrowers when government programs ultimately wind down. Important to note, however, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, which governs lenders and insurers, will see special treatment of loan and premium payment deferrals granted past September 30th. From that point on, deferrals will be recognized as non-performing and treated as delinquent. So in measuring the strength in Canada's economy, we've determined it's recovering quicker than expected. When measuring its health against upcoming potential risks, we can conclude with a good degree of confidence we're not going to fall over the looming economic cliff. It'll be more like stepping down from a small ledge. We're not going into a deep depression or even a long, deep recession. In my sole opinion, we're taking a step back from it. The economy should start a sustained upswing between April and September of next year. Until then, we'll have some good stretches and periods of disappointing news as the economy staggers and stutters between quarters. But not to worry, because the federal government is committed, in essence, to backstopping most of the risk with a wide safety net made of extended programs at least until the end of the year, if not longer, into Q1 of next year. They won't risk reversing all the progress made to this point, especially in real estate and construction. Secondly, bankruptcies and delinquencies for both consumers and businesses will be minimized by extending government support programs. SERP payments were two times what was needed by the end of May. More than enough. And there are those still collecting cash under the table in restaurants and hospitality while still receiving SERP. Not everybody, but some. Probably a good portion. So there is extra money out there to pay down debt. So mortgage deferrals and equity takeout refinancing for commercial mortgages have been allowing extra money to flow into people's pockets that could help curb the volume for delinquencies. The Bank of Canada is committed to a slow, precise, surgical approach to getting us back towards a 2% inflation target scheduled for later 2021, maybe 2022. They're signaling rates to remain at a quarter point until the end of next year and they're buying up long-term debt to keep inflation low for a very long time. 
Great news for keeping overall borrowing costs at historically low levels over the next 12 months. And employment levels? Well, those employment numbers are on the rise along with weekly hours earned. This is very important in our efforts to curb bankruptcies and insolvencies. So in closing, this period of time doesn't signal great uncertainty. It proposes a window of great opportunity to get in on the ground floor of a lifting economy after this fall and winter. For those real estate investors who are cautiously selective in finding the right property within the right asset class for the right price. Although you might not receive the greatest cash flow from property over these next few years, you will most likely benefit from great appreciation and values for your real estate over the next decade. Supply in much of the different asset classes are still limited and completion of new construction projects will remain delayed for some time. Hey, let me cut in here really quick to let you know that this broadcast is brought to you by Paramount Real Estate Properties, specialists in occupancy and investment solutions in the greater Toronto area. Paramount is a boutique commercial real estate brokerage founded in 2005 to save clients money, time, and frustration by aligning their customized real estate strategies with their operational and investment needs. So if you're looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate, you're invited to call us at 905 905- 567-5602. Service is paramount. We're all about positioning you in the right spot. So that was our take on Canada's positive economic performance and the promising results being attained by current government programs and monetary policy. Bottom line, economy strengthening, risks diminishing to an acceptable, manageable level, economic cliff avoided. Hopefully these conclusions place everything into a positive, reassuring perspective for you so that we can move forward to create your real estate strategy for the balance of 2020. Again, I want to encourage you to download the report from our website, www.paramountrealestate.ca or watch the full episodes on your YouTube channel. You can find us under Paramount Real Estate or search for me, Mel Giannone. So here now is our overall commercial real estate outlook for the balance of 2020. Going forward, the government of Canada will likely finance fiscal spending by issuing longer term bonds, thereby locking in today's historically low interest rates. We could see the Bank of Canada pivot towards using those proceeds for buying much of the long term debt out there in the market, putting downward pressure on long term yields and compressing spreads related to risk. As a result, expect borrowing costs to remain low for well into 2022. Until now, lenders had been pricing more risk into their financing for real estate, taking a conservative approach to underwriting property. Also, they have been mitigating their risk by focusing on only those most promising of asset classes and being selective with whom they engage business with the larger accomplished borrowers who have demonstrated a track record of past success and have the means to pay back debt. That approach might be relaxed a little going forward. We are definitely experiencing less resistance from lenders for opportunities priced below $50 million and even more participation at this time below $10 million level. On the flip side, investors have been sitting on the sidelines due to the uncertainty lack of financing metrics, lack of deal comparables, and lack of clarity on cash flows to guide them in differentiating 
good deals from bad. We had experienced a shift in mindset from investors during the lockdown, a defensive strategy, relying less on rental growth and more on strong tenant covenant and development potential. Now, though, we are seeing signs of activity moving from the pool deck and into the pool as investors test the waters, playing real estate Marco Polo in search of opportunities to be had at great discounts. But distressed asset sales haven't yet materialized in great number. Would-be sellers aren't having any of that. They've chosen to keep their assets off the market for as long as they can afford to, for the very same reasons that buyers were reluctant to jump in. Uncertainty. Owners have been reluctant to take a hit and prefer to ride out this uncertainty. As a result, scarcity of product persists in most asset classes up until now, as banks have been encouraged to sit down with clients and consider refinancing properties instead of adding pressure towards selling. There will be a slow, gradual recovery to the investment market as the gap between buyer bids on price and seller asks for value narrows with more available information. The time needed to scrutinize an opportunity and perform due diligence will decrease over next year. The group of transactions that closed over the first half of 2020 most likely had been placed under contract pre-COVID. Today, interest in the most coveted assets increased with economic confidence. Currently, that focus from both investors and lenders is on sheds and beds, industrial properties, and multifamily apartments. Capitalization rate expectations had shifted upwards amidst concerns over the pandemic, but by the end of Q2, they had come back down and cap rates for the best-in-class assets have remained relatively unchanged since early first quarter. On average, across all four asset classes, retail, industrial, office, and multifamily, cap rates hover at around 4.4%. What is important to note is that the cost of borrowing is dropping to historical lows alongside the widening risk spread, or gap between the 10-year Government of Canada bond yield and cap rate expectations. At a time, I feel in my sole opinion that the risk associated with most asset classes is diminishing now over time as we recover from the pandemic. Look for cap rates to slightly compress once again over the next 24 months. According to recent numbers presented by the Altus Group and supported from survey data by RealPAC, most risks from delinquencies are declining from their peaks in May. By the end of the first half of this year, 44% of tenants in enclosed malls are still behind in rent. 37% of outdoor retail tenants, 11% of small bay industrial tenants, 5% of large bay logistical warehouse and distribution tenants, 5% of office tenants, and 6% of tenants in multifamily residential. So as a real estate strategist for the balance of the year, you should remain diligent and possess a cautious optimism in your approach to market opportunities as we continue to face challenges from a pending second wave of infections, a slight rise in loan losses, threatening tariffs and trade tensions, a tumultuous election south of the border affecting North American monetary policy and the awaiting recovery of our biggest trading partner, the USA. 
Now, let's give you our ranking on the strength for each of the four food groups of commercial real estate, so as to provide you with some guidance for planning your next real estate moves in 2020. Number one, the rock star of all asset classes, in my sole opinion, continues to be industrial real estate. As one of North America's tightest markets for industrial property, the GTA has truly benefited from favorable economic factors. Good rental growth, a rapid demand from logistics, a growing need from e-commerce, more storage needs related to just-in-case inventory, and supply constraints nationally for industrial space at approximately 3% availability levels. Bottom line, if you're a tenant, you could expect negotiations with your landlord to be a little rigid. However, most landlords would be open to negotiating longer lease terms and creative concessions in exchange for keeping up their healthy rental face rates. As an investor, take advantage of any opportunities coming available in the small bay segment as the need for quick last mile delivery of product will assure the long-term returns from depots spread across the perimeter of the central business districts. Two, the second best of all asset classes, again in my sole opinion, is multifamily properties. This darling asset class attracted more investment capital across Canada than any other product type over the first half of this year. This sector has a counter-cyclical nature in times of recession, which makes it a hedge against risk to some extent. Encouraging rent collection figures to date have made this asset class an appealing option for investors, experiencing only a 6% delinquency rate on collections. Vacancy has risen slightly in 2020, but still remains tight at approximately 1.8% in the GTA. Bottom line, over the next 12 months, expect professionally owned, purpose-built apartment buildings in the GTA to outperform rents for high-rise condominium apartments owned in large part by individual investors. While low-rise multi-unit residential made up predominantly of longer-term renters will provide better stable returns into 2021 over high-rise condo towers, the overall national picture for the rental market will show flat or slight declines in rents over the next two quarters or so, while Toronto downtown will perform worse than the suburbs in the 905. If you are a small apartment investor, look to low-rise multi-unit residential, the likes of duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes for long-term stable returns, less affected by the current volatility in the high-rise condo market. If you are a large investor seeking opportunities in purpose-built multifamily apartment buildings, interest rates are low and favorable support from banks and the CMHC is available, in line with the national housing strategy. Note that financing and due diligence in this economic environment will take longer. Expectations on cap rates vary with proximity to the urban core, between 3.25% to 4.5%, lower at center ice closer to the downtown core, while risk for C-class properties in C-class locations will push up cap rates. If currently an apartment renter, Note that the market is experiencing a temporary oversupply of apartment condo listings. So this may be an opportunity to trade up owning a larger existing condo with a bigger kitchen accommodating more frequent at-home meals and an office den for two as most couples work remotely. 
Conversely, as a renter in a B-class building, you may take advantage of the slightly higher vacancy in A-class product right now. A flight to quality towards a bigger space in a better managed building that has a better health and safety protocol system, located in a more desirable neighborhood, and will probably offer you one month in free rent. Number three. Just as many categories before it had been disrupted by technology, most notably the retail sector, the office sector is now undergoing an accelerated evolution brought on by the COVID crisis. Remote working is now here to stay in one form or another, and the guaranteed growth of virtual companies aided by cloud technology will change the use of traditional office space over the next decade. Your key takeaway, as a tenant at this point in the year, you may still be awarded some rent deferment, not rent abatement from your landlords, typically on a case-by-case basis only. Those rare companies who are experiencing unexpected growth from this pandemic, leverage this time to negotiate hard on a great lease rate in these softer market conditions, secure landlord-funded capital inducements, extraordinary rental concessions, and future sublease assignment or early termination options in exchange for a commitment to a longer lease term. Otherwise, as for most tenants not sure about future prospects, play safe and renew for a year or two before rates resume their climb again for the long term. For investors, opportunities will come less from rental growth and more so from the redevelopment, repurposing, or conversion of older buildings located near desirable locations, having desirable amenities, possessing adequate parking ratios, no less than four per thousand, next to public transit or accessible to major highways leading in and out of downtown. Watch that current migration of homeowners heading into the suburbs over the last few months, specifically Durham region, which includes Whitby, Ajax, Pickering, Oshawa, and Clarington. Most employers will want to be close to the best talent and preserve their current base of skilled employees. Be wary of underwriting property valuations using only projected rental cash flow at this time. A building filled with long-term leases from tenants with strong covenants will be worth more than those properties presenting the potential lift in rents based on weaker tenants with short-term commitments. If you plan to own an office property, again, be aware of that 905 migration in the residential market. If you're looking to the suburbs, Focus on mid to low rise buildings, no more than six to seven stories or ground level flex office buildings. Buildings with upgradable HVAC systems and technologies already in place. Aim to cap your short term tenancies, those between one and four years at no more than 20% of your rent rolls. And negotiate slight discounts in net rental rates for those prospective tenants as an incentive for committing to stable, longer lease terms. And rental premiums should be placed on short-term leases. Number four. Before COVID, the retail sector had already been undergoing a transformation brought on by technology. Since the great lockdown, this asset class has felt the impact of the pandemic the most. With massive job losses, rent, deferrals, bankruptcies, and insolvencies, and a heavy reliance on government support. This will all get worse for retail real estate before it gets better, as the colder fall winter months will take away the comfort of dining on patios, 
spacious shopping outdoors, and shift spending back online as people avoid the fear of not being able to properly physical distance within an enclosed mall setting. Retailers are carrying huge overhead in their physical locations, and when sales dry up, many of them won't be able to hang on. Retail insolvency filings are rising, and we won't see the end of it soon. There's more coming down the pipeline. Retail landlords have used SECRA, Canadian Emergency Commercial Rental Assistance, more than any other asset class with mixed results, mostly on smaller, independent retailers on a case-by-case basis. Prospects don't look promising for a lot of stores after this program winds down. Bottom line, if you're a retailer more now than ever, you need to adopt an e-commerce platform. Develop omni-channel distribution systems and merge your real estate strategy between bricks and mortar stores with last-mile industrial fulfillment centers, also known as dark stores. If you're an investor, you need to consider making a better return in less time acquiring property in other asset classes. Only look at retail property with good underlying land value, flexible zoning, and the ability to convert to mixed uses. The smaller investor might want to shift focus towards old school in-town municipal street front property with retail on the ground floor, commercial office on the main levels, and apartments on the upper floors. This diversification will better provide a hedge against future market risks. In conclusion, let's leverage all this data from the first half of 2020 to crystal ball into the future. The great lockdown in the GTA is over. Not only has the state of emergency been lifted, the fog is lifting from the uncertainty of the real estate market. These past 100 plus days gave us a benchmark from which to measure future opportunities and the visibility needed to plan a strategy for the balance of the year. Yes, the second quarter was unprecedented. Canada experienced the deepest quarterly drop on record, but All that is behind us now, and we currently sit only 6% lower than pre-COVID levels thanks to the rebounds found in May, June, and July. The narrative is changing right now as we come out from the bottom. Here are your key takeaways from this episode. Looking at the macroeconomic drivers, number one, Canada's economy is growing. It has recovered well over half of its pandemic losses. Number two, employment is recovering. Over half of the jobs lost to COVID-19 has been recovered in just three months. Number three, cost of living is stable. The overall consumer price index has been muted. Inflation is negligible going into 2021. Keep an eye out for updates on government programs and banking policies. Looking forward, number four, Regarding the cost of borrowing money, the Bank of Canada will ensure historically low levels for the balance of 2020, 2021, and expect a rise sometime in 2022. Number five, the government safety net will continue past its deadlines in some form or another. Programs will gradually wind down over time. No shock to the system. There is no benefit to losing the gains made since March. Number six, credit risk 
will be minimized. The Bank of Canada will continue to backstop any risk through their monetary policy. Lastly, consider the microeconomic drivers in the Greater Toronto Area. Point number seven, real estate investment. Activity coming off the pool deck and into the pool, testing the waters. So prepare now for the opportunities out there. Don't be late to the pool party. Number eight, asset classes of choice, sheds and beds, industrial and multifamily promise the most stability. Number nine, a flight to quality. For those who can qualify for loans or mortgages, now is the time to refinance your debt at cheaper rates, reduce your mortgage costs, utilize cheap money to strengthen your business, eliminate the inefficiencies, buy out your weakened competition perhaps, and expand your market share. Utilize cheap money to acquire a home versus renting an apartment. Utilize cheap money to acquire a real estate investment property or second home. Avoid the volatility of the stock market. And last, number 10, suburban migration. It's happening. So invest where the people are going and not where they're leaving from. In advance of your competition, follow the aging out of those millennials seeking more space to start a family and raise their children. Regardless of where we stand in this current downturn, there is always a solution and execution for every real estate situation, as long as expectations are clear and realistic. For real estate strategists, understanding these top 10 points covered under these three different market dynamics will gain you the visibility needed to help truly define real estate opportunities and time investment decisions, both personally and for your business. Remember, Recessions are typically brought on by fear in the marketplace, caused by the uncertainty of future events. Today, we've shared with you supporting data that should eliminate most of the fear from this economic downturn and clear up some of the uncertainty that could cloud your judgment in navigating your real estate strategy. It's been mentioned many times over these last few months, but I think it's appropriate given the important inflection point in time we're in. Warren Buffett had been quoted as saying that it is wise for investors to be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. We've cited examples of both throughout this presentation. Going forward, in the spirit of Warren Buffett, you too can seize opportunities in real estate, while others remain fearful over the next few years. As your real estate advisor, I would encourage you to stay on top of real-time data Stay vigilant of the opportunities and predictions we made here together and stay active in the market with me, Mel Giannone, your trusted source for occupancy and investment solutions in Toronto's commercial real estate market. Thanks for your time. I hope to hear from you soon. For real estate opportunities together, I can be reached by telephone at 905-567-5602 by email delivery to mel at paramountrealestate.ca or communicating through social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. I invite you to come back and visit more episodes of CRE Next, Work Out Loud, where we'll share even more helpful insights and thoughts with you on current real estate matters. Until then, stay well.